Welcome to Amplified. We're the show that will help you take your message, whatever it may be, and get it out through social media, networking, and other marketing channels. Maybe even some that you've never thought of. Whether you're an organization, small or large business, or you just have the next positive message that's sure to go viral, you'll want to stay tuned this hour. Now, here's your host, Ken Rashawn. Well, welcome to Amplify. During a very interesting time, we have an interesting guest, probably one of the my favorite guests in the entire world. So we are going to be bringing Jack on right away so we can download his brain and heart and help you actually become more abundant and life-changing in your pursuit of excellence. Andrea? Good morning, Jack. I'm so excited for you to be here. We have so many wonderful things going on in the world and, um, you know, where we can create positivity. So having you here to get us started about that and helping people overcome challenges is super exciting to me. Um, I'm pulling up Jack's bio here. We're doing something new today for the first time ever. We are breaking history with Jack Canfield and being live on Zoom, which makes it a little more fun to create some new opportunities to look up information. So Ken, if you can banter with Jack a moment or tell us something new. I get this all pulled up. All right. Well, I will at least go through our sponsors right now. So our sponsors are, of course, Voice America, and they are the Red Carpet Connection, the Umbrella Syndicate, and Keep Smiling Movement, and of course, Jack Canfield and his new book. And we're very excited to have Jack share his new workbook. I think this is actually the perfect timing for a workbook to come out when you have time at home. You can really dig into the technology and the and the processes he's going to share with you. I've enjoyed uh, Jack's books on Audible, and I got to say, Jack, you lay down so many reference points to success. It's very easy to follow up on almost any nugget you give and have a shift in your life. I also want to say thank you because when I met you for the first time, it was an author event in San Diego, and I just kind of pounced on you and said, hey, Jack, you cost more smiles in the world. Would you mind holding the key smiling card to honor you? I'd like to put you in a book. And without reservation, you did that. But I, it really goes to show you what kind of heart you have because when a stranger comes up and asks something like that, I know you didn't know me from anybody, but we've run into each other probably four or five times. And uh, I put you in so many books because I do believe that your heart and your uh, mission in life is to cause smiles, to cause abundance, and to inspire hope. So thank you very much. Thank you. Well, we're going to have Andrea read your bio real quick, and we're going to get right into it. <laughs> so uh, Andrea is going to uh, wing this here based well, on actually, stuff that I, I know about I can, you. So here I we go. Read it. I got it. I, Ken, I've got it. Okay. Uh, well, I had something different, but we'll go with this. So Jack Canfield, known as America's number one success coach, is the co-author of more than 200 books, including The Success Principles, How to Get from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be, The Success Principles Workbook, and The Chicken Soup for the Soul series, which includes 40 New York Times bestsellers and has sold more than five. 500 million copies in 47 languages around the world. Uh, Jack is a featured teacher in the movie The Secret, and he has appeared on more than a thousand radio and television shows, including The Oprah Winfrey Show, Oprah Super Soul Sunday, and The Today Show, Fox and Friends, and Larry King Live. He has conducted live trainings for more than a million people in more than 50 countries around the world, and he holds two Guinness Book World titles and is a member of the National Speakers Association Speaker Hall of fame. Welcome to the show. Standing ovation to you. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, Jack, first of all, thank you for giving us our chance to have our inaugural video, and I get to wear my shirt and actually have it seen, so that one's pretty exciting. And I wanted to first comment, you have one of the most amazing green screens. It looks like you have lots of books behind you. I wish it was a green screen. I've read over 3,000 books in my work to be uh, more useful to people. And to understand how to support transformation and create success no matter where you are in your life. Cool. Well, I was so happy to hear your talk. Probably, you always give a different talk, but your talk specifically at Author Millionaire with Greg Jacobson. And it was just such a a pleasure to see you uh, have lunch with you and and see all these authors inspired by uh, your message. So thank you for that first and foremost. You're welcome. Okay. So I wanted to, I guess, ask a pressing question that will go into a little deeper with your workbook. So the first question I have is during COVID, during these uncertain times, people are obviously in different degrees of lockdown and isolation. And what would you say would be a really good way to deal with the bad side of it, the depressing or the scarcity side of it? And then how do you actually transform that into an opportunity? 
Well, the first thing is to not go into fear. Fear is a result of imagining something terrible happening in the future. I'm going to run out of money. I'm going to run out of food. I'm going to run out of toilet paper, whatever it is. And so in order to be afraid, in order to feel uncomfortable and unhappy, you have to be imagining there's something bad on the other side of this that you haven't gotten to yet. So even if there was a snake in your studio and it was slithering toward you right now, uh, you would have to go into the future, imagine it biting you before you would actually be afraid. And so a lot of people are afraid of something that's going to happen to them. So the main thing is to come back into the present moment and really know that you are okay right now. You've got the food you need. You've got water. You've got the things you need. Um, a lot of people are sequestered alone. Fortunately, I have my wife and a house guest that lives with us, been living with us for about a year and a half, a house guest who came and never left, but it's a wonderful <laughs> woman who we really enjoy. And the three of us, I've, I stay home. I'm 75, so I'm doing that, you know, better stay home and be safe kind of thing. Our house guest goes out and buys food and things like that every week, once a week. And, um, you know, I'm surrounded by my books. I'm surrounded by a couple TV sets. I've got all the things I'm working on. I've been, I think this is about the 40th podcast I've done in the last two weeks. So basically for me, I'm really happy. Uh, but for most people, you have to look at, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> do you have the skills you need to maintain your, your state of happiness? Most people have never mastered state management. In other words, do you meditate? Do you focus on the positive? I heard a story recently that was good about a Zen monk who was being trained in Thailand walking through a field, and his master looked over. There was this huge rock that would take about two people to pick up, and he said, is that rock heavy? And he said, yes. And he said, only if you pick it up. And the idea being that you were hearing all this negative news every day. If you sit and watch the news all day long about how many people have died and how many people are this and when are we going to be able to go back to school and so forth, you could get depressed. But if you just stay away from that and focus on what's good and don't pick up that rock of heavy news and carry it around all day long, then you're not going to be so worn out. You're not going to be so depressed. You're not going to be so negative. So I think it's, it's focus on the positive and then uh, learn to meditate if you don't know how to meditate. I teach something in the morning called the hour of power, 20 minutes of meditation, 20 minutes of exercise and 20 minutes of reading. Now, today, most of us at home, some are working and they can work from home. We know that two thirds of Americans still have a job. They're either working in an essential business where they're allowed to leave their home or they're working at home like you are right now and I am. And then one third are out of work. So if you are home and you're out of work, this is a time to develop your skills. So when the job market opens up again, you've got more skills things like reading the Success Principles Workbook and going through the processes, learning how to meditate, maybe learning a foreign language like Spanish or Arabic or Chinese or something useful that would be, you know, depends on where you live and what you do. So there's a lot of opportunity to be happier by learning to meditate, be more fit. Most of us say, I don't have time to exercise. Well, yes, you do. You've got all day to exercise. Um, and I know it's challenging if you're trying to reach the unemployment office and get your unemployment checks and saying, sorry, we're experiencing a heavy load of calls right now and you've made your 50th call. But, you know, do the things you need to do. And then finally, I would say, if you are an entrepreneur, this is a time to pivot, to look at what can I do in this world where I could actually be making money. Um, just to give you one example, there was a guy who I know who owns a gym and he was running, you know, people would come in and they would you know, go down the treadmills and the spin cycles and all this stuff. And uh, he, he was doing a very good living at that. And then when they said social distancing, nobody can gather in groups of 10 or more. Uh, basically, he, people stopped coming to his gym. So he had about two days of depression. And then he said, well, wait a second, what resources do I have? I've got all this equipment. People still want to exercise. So he sanitized all the equipment, called up all his clients and said, would you like me to deliver a treadmill or an elliptical or a set of weights to your home? Uh, and if they said yes, he rented them the equipment. He was making as much money now as he was before because he got creative. Another woman called up all the business that, was, that were you know, closed down in her town and said, I can come in and sanitize all the equipment before people come back to work. So she's now going into all these offices and sanitizing all the Xerox machines, the computer consoles, the doorknobs and handles and all that kind of stuff. So there are ways, if you're creative, to figure out how to earn a living, even if you're sequestered. Very good. Well, I wanted to... Uh 
the Q Smiling books, when I first met you, we may have had 10. I mean, if, if that, and I know with how many chicken soup books you've had, that's a, a very small number, but we have jumped over a hundred at this point. Congratulations. And that's great. I, I will say that we have some really cool names like Frank Shankwitz, Dr. Ivan Meisner. And of course, one of my dreams is to have your name and your story to share how you inspire hope and how you created your life. So that is not to put you on the spot. That's just to say, I'm putting it out there as a positive thought. Okay. <laughs> uh, that sounds like fun. We should probably okay. do that. Well, what I want to do is I wanted to actually share with the audience, hopefully something they haven't heard before. You can go as deep as you'd like, but I have a prediction that when people really focus on creating their who, that their why and their how become very powerful. So if you'd be kind enough to share in depth this particular part of the the show, um, how you came in the world, how you come in the world developed you into being who you are today. Well, I'm going to go way back. I was born in Texas. My dad was in the Air Force. We traveled around. By the time I was six, we lived in Texas, Minnesota, Nebraska, and Florida, and settled in Wheeling, West Virginia. He was in the Air Force, so that's why he moved. When he got out, when I was six, um, I was just a normal kid. You know, I played marbles and flipped baseball cards and did all the stuff that you do growing up in Wheeling, West Virginia. And then um, when I was in the fifth grade, I had a rich aunt who basically had a son named Jack who was killed. And she kind of adopted me. I didn't live with her, but she sent me to this private school in town, which my family never could have afforded. So I did get a better education than my two brothers and my sister got. And as a result of that, I got a scholarship to go to Harvard and majored in Chinese history, which I thought I was going to be a a, a diplomat. But uh, my senior year, my friend said, oh, you want an easy A? There's this course called Social Relations 10. It's an encounter group. You just sit around and talk about your feelings. So I took that course for the easy A, quote unquote, and uh, fell in love with human psychology and uh, got into graduate school at the University of Chicago, where we were asked to, uh, I was going to go and become a teacher in education and uh, learn about psychology and teach kids and all that. And and we we had to go to two schools as part of our orientation week. And one of them was called DeSabo High School. It was considered one of the worst high schools in America at the time, and it was. It was an all-black inner-city school. And then we went to another school called Rich Township, which was aptly named because all the kids were very rich, rich suburb. And um, I said, gee, I could make a real difference in that black school, so I'm going to go back and teach there. And that really changed my life because I became more interested in why the kids weren't motivated than I was in why they weren't learning, why they weren't, uh, you know, interested in American history and all that kind of stuff. So I literally started taking seminars with a man named W. Clement Stone, who was a friend of Napoleon Hill. Together, they wrote a book called uh, Success Through a Positive Mental Attitude. And um, I thought, wow, this is great stuff. I want to teach kids self-esteem. So I started doing that. And then it was so successful that the school system asked me to start teaching other teachers how to teach self-esteem rather than teaching you know, history. And that's how I got into things like goal setting and values and uh, affirmations, visualization, all that kind of stuff. And um, and then what really happened one day, someone said, my husband's company needs what you just taught all our, our teachers. And I said, I never worked in a company. She said, well, they're just big kids in suits. Now go over and talk to them. So I went over and I talked to them and it was really amazing. They loved it. And uh, right about that time, I was starting to meditate, uh, which was very, very powerful for me. And I was starting to do a lot of therapy and take a lot of groups. I think in one year, I took 17 weekend workshops uh, and just you know studied everything I could get my hands on, from gestalt therapy to uh, tai chi to yoga to meditation to transactional analysis, NLP, you name it, I was, I was a student of it. And uh, then I started my own company called Self-Esteem Seminars. Um, and that developed into the Campfield Training Group. And um, just, you know, for me, I just, I came up with a life purpose about 20 years ago, which was to inspire and empower people to live their highest vision in the context of love and joy. And that's really what my life's been about. The Chicken Soup or the Soul books were all about inspiration and the, self, the uh, success principles books have all been about empowering people. And uh, along the way, somebody said, that story you told about a puppy, is that in the book anywhere? I said, no. A story about the Girl Scout who sold the 3,000 boxes of Girl Scout cookies. I need that so I could read it to my Girl Scout troop. No, it's not a book. 
I was coming home on a plane one day about 25 years ago, and I thought, I should put all these stories in a book. And that became the first Chicken Soup for the Soul book. And uh, blessings to me is at the end of the book, there were a few blank pages. Uh, the way they publish books, they fold a lot of pages and cut them. And publisher mm -hmm. said, you got a few blank pages. Would you like to put anything on the last couple of pages? And I said, yeah, let's write. If, if you have a story, send it in. Maybe we'll do, another, we'll do a sequel. <laughs> Here we are, 250 books later, uh, people started, we started getting banker's boxes full of uh, stories every day. And the mail would come in boxes, you know, instead of uh, just like, you know, 20 letters or something like that. So that's kind of a long answer, but I hope that was helpful. It is, and I, I want to bridge that because you're talking about inspiration, and we've heard a lot of speakers talk about you buy from people you know, like, and trust, mm -hmm. and I've really studied that a lot, and I think in this day and age, know, like, and trust is kind of a given because there's so many people that you do know through social media. You do like them because of social media, and at some level, you do trust them, but I think what you did with Chicken Soup for the Soul added an element of inspiration, obviously, which I think is a very big caveat to why someone would want to work with you. They're inspired to work with you. And I think that if they can Google you and see that you have a value proposition, that you really bring value to people and that your social proof is solid, all it comes down to is timing. So mm -hmm. I, I just wanted to say that I think that we're trying to mimic you with a, a hope a dose with our, our, our chicken soup, our, our chicken soup version, which is Keep Smiling, which right. is only one story from an author, whereas yours is so many. And then having all the people that are, um, I guess, correlated or uh, congruent to that theme. So I wanted to ask you about, was there something in your childhood that uh, signified, I want to be a leader? And, and what was that? Who was that person? that cause it because what I'm getting to is when people don't have those optimal circumstances like grandma adopting Jack or going to a private school, what mm -hmm. is the ignition switch that they have an opportunity to hit to become a leader? Well, I think I've any place I've ever been, I wanted to be in the inner circle. I just, I just did, you know, if there was an organization, I wanted to be in the top of it, not always like the top, but in the inner circle of the top. So I would say the private school I went to was actually a military school. I was a day student. I didn't stay in the dorms, but it was very quickly clear to me that the officers, you know, were the people that had the most most power. And so by the time I was a senior, I was a captain and I was in charge of a company and all of that. I probably would have been uh, the, the commander of the whole battalion, but they said they wanted me to be the teacher because I was such a good teacher. So they gave me all the freshmen who didn't know anything so basically, I got to teach them how to do, you know, eyes right and forward march and port arms and all these kind of things. And we actually won the final competition uh, at what they call final drills. And so I was a natural teacher. I was the head of my high Y group in high school. I was a, a vice president of fraternity in college. I would have been a president, but I had a beard, and they didn't want anyone with a beard to go to the National Council, which was in Alabama. So, um, and I just always kind of wanted to do that, you know. And even to this day, I've founded three organizations, and I'm on the board of directors of about five, and advisory board for about another 10. And this desire to matter, to make a difference, to um, be seen as useful. All of those things that were, were driving me, I think. Mm -hmm. at, at what point of your creation of your who did a purpose? You, you alluded to it being 20 years ago, but mm -hmm. was there another time that you said, my why is to do this and it developed into another why? And then my second question is, do you ever stop creating your who? I don't think I even thought about what my why was until Simon Sinek wrote a book about it. Um, you know, with Chicken Soup for the Soul, we just had this in, in our phrase called changing the world one story at a time. And we, just, we, we did want to change the world. You know, the world needs a lot more love, compassion, empowerment, uh, social justice, you know, ecological sustainability, all that kind of thing. So anything that I could do and that Mark Victor Hansen, my co-author, could do with that book series, we wanted to do. So we had a lot of different themes, you know, chicken soup for the grieving soul, chicken soup for the single soul, chicken soup for the teenage soul, uh, chicken soup for the volunteer soul, as well as, you know, women's soul and men's soul and all that. So I think that um, for me, I always had a desire to contribute. Even when I was a kid, you know, I'd be part of the food drive or, you know, I'd be belong to the church group that would go out and feed the homeless or whatever. 
Um, and it made me feel good. You know, the, the, what we found in research when we were doing Chicken Soup with a Volunteer Soul is volunteers always say they got more back than they gave. You know, that, that they, they felt more joy, more love, more fulfillment uh, than if they had stayed home. So for me, um, I think that that was there. And I was a Boy Scout. You know, Boy Scouts uh, are always committed to service and always leave a place better than you found it, and things like that. And then there's the Boy Scout code of honor and the, the values of, you know, bravery and thrifty and kindness and courage and all those kind of things. So I think that I was instilled with that from an early age. Uh, my parents, I don't know where that involved in that really. I don't remember them doing philanthropy, uh, but it was around me as a kid in school. And then in college, I got involved in the civil rights movement, and the anti-war movement and things like that. Um, and so, and I've, I've been that way. I, I, I give away, I still to this day tie the 10% of my income to charities. Uh, I love what Bob Proctor said. He said, there's the reason you should be rich is that if you only have a little bit of money, the good you can do is limited to where you are. If you have a lot of money, you can do good all around the world. So I've helped build schools in Africa and create uh, eye operations in India for cataract surgery, where someone learns to see again, they can make a living. Uh, as opposed to just sitting there, you know, not not being useful. So to me, I always look, where are the greatest leverage points? Like if you give money to an organization that gives microloans, you know, $25 can start a business for a woman in Africa, and then she becomes independent. And so that, to me, is, I think, the greatest level of impact you can make is to keep asking, where do I have the greatest um opportunity to to make a difference and also you know what attracts me i remember a man named ramdas who said uh, when someone said i went to india and there were just too many kids how can i pick which one to save and he said one of them will tug at your heart the one that does that's the one you should save and i think the same with charities if you're into music and maybe you support things that teach kids music if you're into um, something else you know medicine maybe you do doctors without borders or the you know, with you, it's a smile campaign. There are people that do operations for cleft lips all around the world called Operation Smile. So I think it's just a matter of like what 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 opens your heart and follow your heart. If you do that, then I think you become successful and fulfilled because it's one thing to get to the top of the ladder and have a lot of money, have a lot of influence, have a lot of people think you're great. But if you're not fulfilled, if you're not if you're not getting a sense of like this fulfills me and gives me a sense of contentment and inner peace and joy, then you've, um, as Stephen Covey says, you've gotten to the top of the ladder, but the ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. Hmm. Well, during COVID, I, uh, two parts. One is you have all these titles; they're downloadable hmm. by ebook on Amazon. They're also at, at your website as well. Yeah, so well, the chicken soup books were not. Uh, we basically sold that company about uh, 10 years ago. And um, I still co-authored a number of books for a while with them. And then I, I gave that up and put all my energy on the success principles and the success principles for teens. And we're working on a success principles for women book right now. And then we have the workbook, the success principles workbook. And then training trainers to teach this. So we've now trained about 3,500 people in 117 countries to teach the success principles. And so that's really my legacy now is, and while I have all these books out there, sold over half a billion books, uh, what's more interesting to me now is to leave a legacy of literally a million trainers by 2030 teaching this work in every area, whether it's schools, prisons, corporations, general public, that kind of thing. So your advice on tithing uh, when people may be experiencing uh, loss of income, uh, they, they might have an abundance of time. You can tithe time as well. You can tithe time. You can tithe information. You can tithe, you know, consulting with your expertise. Uh, Money is just one thing. It does not the only thing you should or, or could do. Um, and, you know, one, one time, a lot of times people say, well, when I'm rich, I'll tithe. You know, <laughs> the truth is you actually get rich by tithing. Right. Uh, it, 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 it's a law of the universe that what you give out comes back multiplied. And so if you put out anger, you're going to get anger back multiplied. If you put out money, you're going to get money back multiplied. I, we had a chicken soup story about this family that went to church. And uh, they said there's a family in this church 
that's really, really, really hurting financially. And we'd like everyone to just reach into your pockets and share whatever you can. And this, this family only had about $3. And uh, they put one of the dollars in the basket for whoever that family was. And then they had $2 to go buy food that day. And uh, later that afternoon, the church came over and gave them about $400. And they didn't realize they were the family they were talking about. And it's that level of, uh, you know, we have enough and we can share. A lot of people are also afraid now they're not going to have enough toilet paper. They're not going to have enough this. And, um, but we actually do. There's probably things you have that you can share. I live in Santa Barbara where a group of high school kids started a, a group uh, about, about mid-March where they, they created a group called uh, Zoomers to Boomers. And this is the age of kids who use Zoom calls for everything. And they wanted to get food for the aging boomers who are at home, who are in their 70s and 80s, who can't get out. And so they basically said, if you call up any grocery store in town, give them your credit card, tell them what you want, we'll go pick up the food and deliver it. So they don't have a lot of money, but they have access to a car and they have access to uh, time. So they're doing that. And it started out, they now have about 450 people that are taking advantage of that. And they've started now in five other cities, Denver and uh, Los Angeles and San Francisco. So just a bunch of high school kids making a huge difference. I, I will bet you $100 that with by the time this COVID pandemic is over, this will have turned into a business and they will be very, very wealthy as a result of just wanting to reach out and help. That's how it comes back to you multiplied. Well, I'll bet that $100 just so I can fund them too. Okay, how about that? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Andrea? Well, speaking about people who reach out in the world to create opportunities, we're going to go to a short break. And first, we want to thank our sponsors. And we want to thank you, Jack, and your company for the Success Principles Workbook for being a part of that. And Voice America Influencer Channel, the Umbrella Syndicate, the Red Carpet Connection, and the Keep Smiling Movement, as well as Big Events USA. And we'll be back after these messages. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. The Umbrella Syndicate amplifies good causes, good people, and good messages. They offer a suite of services that help people and businesses gain better exposure. Through working with the Umbrella Syndicate, you gain the ability to reach an audience of 50,000 unique people a week. They have recently reached over 20,000 followers on Facebook. You can view their photography and how they use it as a strong promotional tool on their Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash The Umbrella Syndicate. Show them your support by liking their page. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. This is Amplify. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. We also would love to hear from you via email to info at umbrellasyndicate.com. Now, back to Amplify. Well, 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 we are back and we are video live with Jack Canfield. So exciting. And Jack, we uh, never will have enough time with you, nor will anyone because you are such a wealth of information. So I will go ahead and ask the question I want to finish before we started segment two, which is we have people that are sitting and looking for maybe the fact that they didn't know how life, how precious life was. And when they see this COVID epidemic and they see that life is not predictable, they all of a sudden associate a lot of value with their life. And so the natural question would be, how does one find uh, the most value by creating a purpose-driven life? And how did you? Well, when you know your purpose, as I said earlier, you can get to the top of the ladder and it's leaning against the right wall. So you're not only successful, but you're also totally fulfilled and content. And you've led a life of significance and not just a life of, you know, abundance or prosperity. That's a great part of it, but it's not the only part of it. So for me, uh, I, it was a matter of just following that which was interesting. You know, a lot of people say, follow your joy, follow your bliss, follow your heart, and the money will follow. And that's what I did. I always was interested in the next thing, whatever that was. First, it was like being a teacher. Then it was teaching self-esteem. Then it was teaching adult self-esteem. Then it was realizing I wanted to teach the general public and not just teachers. And then I wanted to write a book for teachers. And then I wanted to write a book for the general public. And uh, then somehow all these stories wanted to be in a book. So I wrote that. 
And I remember for me, I, I, I decided I was going to write two stories a week for a year, which would give me a hundred stories. And uh, that's what I did. And then people started sending me their stories and we started writing more books and more books and more books. And then one day, Ken, what happened was I literally got tired of being inspired by all these stories. You know, it's like not another one-legged guy climbs Mount Everest. We've seen that before, you know. And I said, okay, it's time to move on. I didn't know what exactly where I was going to go next, but I knew I was done with that. And sometimes letting go of that which is working, but it's not fulfilling anymore, is challenging, but it's the thing you need to do. And uh, somewhere in that journey, I met a man who said, um, there's a way to discover your purpose. And um, you can close your eyes and you walk, you walk up a to the top of a mountain. There's a golden temple. You go in and uh, there's a skylight. And this angel comes down and the angel gives you a gift in, the, in this golden box. And what's in the box? And what was in my box was a big heart. And um, what I realized was that it, it was all about love. And, and then I did it again a couple of weeks later, and I got this dancing frog. <laughs> I said, what the heck does a dancing frog have to do with this? And I realized it was about joy, and I wanted to have more joy in my life. That me, you know, Anyone who knows me knows I love to tell jokes. I'm a little bit irreverent. I like to dance and have fun, and that I'm a very loving person. So these are my two major qualities. My wife's major qualities are transparency and authenticity. You know, she's the most authentic person you'll ever meet, and she tells you exactly what she thinks. There's no filters whatsoever. So I started living my life saying, you know, my purpose is to uh, expand love, to help people be loving and experience more joy. And then about, well, I think about 10 years ago, I met a man who took me through a paper and pencil exercise. And I'll, I'll share this so your listeners and viewers can do it if they want, which is to ask yourself, what are two qualities that you most enjoy expressing when you're interacting with other people? And for me, as I said, it's love and joy. And then the next question is, what are the two ways you most love expressing that? Well, for me, it's inspiring people and empowering people, inspiring them with stories and empowering them with tools that they can actually achieve what it is they want. And uh, like I put in the uh, Success Principles books, and then uh, the next question is, if the world was perfect according to you, what would be happening in that world? According to me, everyone would be living their highest vision. Like if everyone lived what they're supposed to be, I think every person's a cell in a body called humanity, and every cell has a different function. Like lung cells are a different function than heart cells or kidney cells or liver cells. So for me, my function is to inspire and empower people and uh, to live their highest vision in a context of love and joy. So how, how do I take my, my qualities, the way I love to express them, to bring about the world that I think would be a perfect world? Now, my wife's perfect world is everyone's telling the truth. Everyone's being real. And so for her, it's like giving people permission to be real by being real herself. That's her mission. So it doesn't lead to like, you know, building homeless shelters or anything like that. But everyone who knows my wife ends up liking her more than me. I mean, I, I, I'm the one that draws them in with my celebrity and she's the one that makes lifelong friends out of them because she's so real with everybody. And there are people, they'll just call her up to spend one minute on the phone with her just to kind of get an uplift for the day. Most of her friends call her the day maker. She makes people's days by just being so alive, so funny, so spontaneous and joyful. So, so do we need um, to do a book with her? <laughs> probably. Well, well, she's she's been writing a book for like three and a half years. Uh, it's kind of like the Sistine Chapel and Michelangelo and the Pope comes in and says, when will you make an end of it? You know, because he never would finish painting the Sistine Chapel uh, called uh, Stepping Out of the Shadows. And she, she grew up in the shadow of her mother, who was a award-winning actress. She grew up in the shadow of her first husband, who was the best skier on, on Mammoth Mountain. And then she grew up in the shadow of her second husband, who was this incredible artist. And then she marries me. So she's always in the shadow of these big, big people. And it's like stepping out of that shadow into the full expression of herself, which is a, it's a great story, but needs an ending. And um, she keeps saying, no, it's not quite done yet. You know, well, you're going to be dead and then you won't be able to finish the story. Uh, but she is writing a book. Well, I, I, I'm going to give you an edge, Jack. Um, if you'd like, tell a joke. And that's going to really have the people draw to you. 
Uh, I'm not going to tell the joke. Most you of my know. joke are not worthy of uh, public <laughs> public broadcast. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. Well, How, However, if we had thought about it, uh, you always show the funniest of pictures and so forth when you're presenting. You've you've been doing that for years. I love it. I do. I do use a lot of cartoons, and I've been collecting a lot with the uh, COVID virus. I saw just a, it was a meme the other day of a dog, and it was up on the top of a counter, like, you know, above the dishes, way high. Up by the ceiling and is saying, I am not going for another walk just so you can get out of sheltering at home. <laughs> I, <was> like, <laughs> I saw that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, what is the website people can uh, see and experience who you are? Well, you can go to jackcanfield.com. Very simple. And it's for all of the books, the online programs, the trainings, <laughs> the free resources we have, which are quite a few right now during this pandemic. And how'd you come up with that name? That's a really interesting name for a website. JackCanfield.com. <laughs> we had to brainstorm for hours to come up with that. <laughs> so uh, one of the things I loved when you were at uh, one of the masterminds, Book Free Mind, you, you shared about the five things and how you were accountable to yourself, but you also had the people that work with you be accountable for the five things they had to do in a day. Would you mind talking about that for a second? Well, we teach something called the rule of five, which is that once you have what we call a breakthrough goal, you want to have a goal that is um, – something that would take you through the next level that would quantum leap your success within any field that you want. It could be your, your relationships. It could be your health and fitness. It could be financial. It could be your company and your, your professional life. But once you've committed to whatever that number one goal is for you for the year, then every day you want to do five things a day, uh, five action steps. And we actually have these post-its. I uh, don't have one right next to me, but we have these post-its that are three inches by three inches that say my top five priority action steps, and then you put them down and you don't go to bed until you complete those. And sometimes it keeps you up till midnight, you know, but the point is if you do five things a day, every day, by the time you uh, finish the year, you've done over almost, you know, 19,000 activities to achieve your goal. And if you were to go to the biggest tree, like take the biggest oak tree you can find, or even a redwood and go there with an ax and take five whacks a day with a sharp ax, eventually the largest tree in the world would have to eventually come down. So, uh, you know, I tell the story uh, about uh, a basketball player who literally every day would go to five different spots on the floor and shoot until he got 15 shots in a row. And sometimes he'd be there for three hours. But eventually he got to the point where he could shoot him from anywhere, went on to become a high school All-American, a college All-American, and then an NBA All-American, um, and later became a U.S. Senator from the state of New Jersey, Bill Bradley. Hmm. And so the idea is that if you do five actions a day, let's say I wanted to lose 25 pounds, then I would drink a lot of water because that helps flush the toxins out of your body. I would take a walk for 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes at night. I would read something motivational about weight loss. I would cut out carbohydrates and sugar and, um, you know, exercise for 30 minutes aerobically. So there's five specific things I can do every day. Or if I was in sales, I could make five phone calls uh, to set up appointments. Uh, I was a consultant to Keller Williams Real Estate Company, and uh, they have uh, what they call the 5-10-15-5 rule. You make five phone calls to set up appointments to either see a property or sell a property. You... Uh, they make 10 phone calls. You have five actual meetings with people. You send out 15 thank you cards for the five meetings and the 10 phone calls. And then you go view five properties that are in your area. So you are familiar with the inventory. You can talk consciously about it. <laughs> Anyone who does that makes a high six-figure income or a seven-figure income every year. So it's a matter of having a system that's consistent. You know, if you have a clear goal, and you have consistency and persistency, then what happens is you're going to get to where you want to go. Well, I liked when you shared the applicable ways that you used it for Chicken Soup for the Soul that you would actually have on your list of five contacting real people at real stations and yeah, media. Yeah, and yeah. You, we would call up five producers of radio shows or television shows, or we'd talk to five editors of newspapers. Will you do a review of our book? Can we get on your show? And, um, you know, sometimes we get, we get got a lot of hangups. People weren't interested and so forth, well, but eventually, uh, you know, I did, I've been on a thousand radio and TV shows and, um, that's only because we kept reaching out day after day after day after day. Well, this is living proof. I mean, 20 years you've been trying to get on my show and I'm so thankful that I finally said yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so I, uh, I want to go to your principles. I know that we're getting to the winding part of the hour and we have to do rapid fire with some kind of fun questions, trivia wise, but, um, your success principles, I've enjoyed it. And it's the kind of book you can re-listen to or reread many times because the more you read it, you hear new things, you see new things. Sure. So I, I like the fact that you put it in a nice, even digestible number of languages, 41. I mean, what was the lucky 41st language? Uh, I think it was uh, one of the Indian languages, Tamil, T-A-M-I-L. Okay. Mm, so I don't have that one. I, like I said, I would love to talk about your workbook forever. Uh, but let's just go to the, the real nuggets that we can cover in this time that we sure. have left. So what are some of the things that you'd like to talk about your workbook and how it's applicable in this COVID situation? Well, I'll hold it up for the viewers so you can see what it looks like. And it, right now, the only place you can get it if you're sequestered is uh, by going to either Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com, which is just capital B, capital N.com. And uh, they'll send it in the mail to you uh, or you can download it. I think it's better to have a hard copy because it is a workbook. There's lots of pages to write on where there are actually activities and exercises and worksheets. And uh, there's 17 principles that we've taken from the larger book, which has 64 principles, and said, okay, if, if these are the core things, if you do them, it's like a combination to a lock. If you know the combination to a lock and you have the right numbers in the right order, then your lock will open. It doesn't matter who you are. And that's true for this workbook. I don't care where you're starting. Uh, I worked with a real estate agency not too long ago where every, some people were making 30000 a year, some people were making 300000 a year. And within two years, everyone had doubled or tripled their income. And, and that was our goal, double your income and triple your time off. And they were doing that. So the 17 principles, one of them we just talked about, which is know your purpose. And so I share with you the three ways that we talked about. And there's a worksheet to walk you through the exercise that we discussed on that. The first chapter has to do with taking 100% responsibility for your life. And I teach a formula in there, E plus R equals O. There's an event plus your response equals an outcome. And just like the COVID pandemic is an event, we all have a response to that. Different responses produce different results. Two plus two equals four. If you're not happy with four, you want to be making six called, I want more money, I want more happiness, I want better help, I want better relationships, then you have to do something different in your response because the, the event just is what it is. The event's the same for everybody. And then what happens as a result of that event is we have a response. You know, when the recession happened, uh, in around 2008, 2009, everybody that lost their job was in the same situation, it was the same economic reality. But some people got creative and did different things. One woman basically realized all her friends and everyone she knew was selling stuff on eBay to get money. So she developed a service called, I'll pick up your stuff, I'll take it to, the, to my home, I'll wrap it and box it, and I'll ship it for a small fee. And so she started the business, which she still does today, which is helping people ship whatever they want to they sell on eBay. Because if you're selling a dresser or a crock pot or something, you know, you obviously don't have the stuff to do that unless you, and if you can't leave your home, well, she does. And, you know, she's doing very, very well. So it's not the event, it's the response. And so once you realize that one of the major responses people have to a lot of events are they blame like they blame the government, you blame the Chinese for the COVID virus, you blame Trump for not acting sooner, you blame Fauci for pushing the guy too soon to do this or not too soon enough to do that, blame the governors, the mayors, the doctors, the whatever. So we're all blaming somebody, blame our parents for being alcoholics, not loving us enough. Then we blame the weather for the traffic jam and so on. And then there's complaining. A lot of us complain about things. And we know that complaining only happens when you have, a, when you have something you know is better that you prefer that you're not willing to risk creating. If I'm complaining about my wife, it's only because I've seen some woman on TV on some sitcom, let's say, who seems to be more enjoyable to live with than my wife. If I didn't have that image there was a better person, I wouldn't complain. If all the women on the planet just disappeared tomorrow except my wife, I wouldn't come to you, Ken, and complain about my wife because I'd go, hey, hey, there's only one and I got her. This is really good, you know? And so complaining means I have a reference point of something I prefer I'm not willing to risk. And so a lot of people will complain about it rather than do something about it because it's not as, not, not as challenging or risky. And then the last thing is people make excuses instead of like just doing the thing they need to do. So in the workbook, there's exercises to help you break through and realize where do I complain? Where do I blame? Where do I make excuses? What would I rather have? And then how could I go about getting that? We go through clarifying your vision, how to set goals, 
how to create an affirmation and a visualization for each one, how to use this rule of five we talked about, how to use feedback, how to ask for feedback, how to ask for what you want, how to resist rejection, and how to persevere, how to have a mastermind group and an accountability partner, all the things. See, I, I've studied billionaires and millionaires and successful people in every field, over 700 50 people I've interviewed or studied their lives. And I just wrote a forward for a book called The Billionaire Secret. Guy interviewed 21 billionaires around the world in 17 different um, business you know, industries. One of the things he discovered was every single one of them got up before 5.30 in the morning, every one of them meditated, every one of them read every day, and every one of them exercised. Now think about this. People from 35 to 81, they're getting up a these are three things they're all doing randomly out there in the world. And so we can study what are the things that successful people do, which I've done and say, how do you put that into your life? And the workbook actually walks you through it. So if you just do the exercises page after page, I say, don't read this book, do this book. And if you do it, your life will be different. And as you said, when we came on the show, if you'll just do this during the coronavirus, you know, shelter at home time, You'll, you'll walk out of this pandemic a better person. Your who will have changed. You'll be clear about your why. You'll have a set of skills you didn't have before. And you'll have a plan for how to, how to nail your, your top goals. That's awesome. Well, that was uh, certainly a great synopsis of the workbook. And again, since we're running low on time, I do want to cut to some trivia questions that help us sure. get to know you a little better for the audience. So if, uh, if you could just be concise. So what is a book that changed your life? And you can give one or two. I would say early on the book, uh, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, and recently a book called Miracle Morning by Hal Alrod, where he talks about how you can do all this stuff early in the morning, like I talked about. Andrea? Um, yes, I would like to know what superhero power you would love to have if you could have one. I would love to be able to read people's minds. <laughs> that is quite the superpower. Okay, um, COVID time or not, uh, name a movie or two that inspires you to be better. Uh, I love the movie Braveheart because I like standing up to authority. And I, um, uh, God, that's a really good one. And I think Rocky, all these overcoming obstacles, you know, from nobody to somebody stories. I, I love those stories. I thought for sure you're going to say Frozen 2. Uh, I saw Frozen go. 1. I liked it, but I haven't <laughs> seen Frozen 2. <laughs> I enjoyed it. <laughs> okay. uh, Jack, what is a bucket item on your bucket list that you haven't fulfilled yet? Uh, uh, the Great Wall of China and the, uh, the, the Terracotta Soldiers in Xi'an in China have oh, been the I mainland wanted to hold China this for yet. you. Here's our keep smiling in Chinese. Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, we're up to something like 26 languages, Jack. So 27 uh, and Braille. Oh, my All goodness. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Um, well, let's go to another media source, music. What's a favorite artist you like to listen to that gets you going? I love anything country. Garth Brooks, I'd say, is right up there. The Dixie Chicks, uh, you know, those kind of groups. Well, I will send you the uh, Keep Smiling CMA version. We just went to Country Music Awards last year and got oh, a, good. a lot of, you know, I, I wasn't even really a huge fan of country, but I got to say, they put their heart in the music. And so I left there a fan, that's for sure. I and love storytelling. To Toby Keith. Yeah, I love Toby Keith. Yeah, I just love storytelling in a song. Okay, Andrea? So going with that, what's a song that gets you motivated and jazzed up, your favorite? Uh, I'm so excited by the Pointer Sisters. I'm so excited. They are not a country song. You know, that, that is one of my <laughs> no. favorite country songs. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, what's a quote you live by, Jack? Or two? Uh, I, there's a quote from Mother Teresa, which is, I'm just a pencil in the hand of God. And I feel like as a writer, that's really what I do. I'm just doing a work of a higher power to bring about love and joy in the world. When you were a child, uh, what did you want to grow up to be? I thought I wanted to be a lawyer and then a diplomat that would bring peace between countries. And uh, given the COVID, what is your favorite thing to do while you're isolated? Uh, I'm, I'm reading novels for the first time in a long time. That's pretty cool. Andrea? Yeah. Uh, what is it that you, what is your favorite snack? <laughs> My favorite snack is to take yogurt and granola and frozen blueberries and a little bit of maple syrup. Oh, that's all good. that together. And eat. Sounds very tasty. Yeah, but that's, that's not even fair, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> um, who's a person, uh, I guess you can answer this two ways. Who's a person you haven't met you'd like to meet and who's a person you wish you had met that may not be with us anymore. 
I would have loved to met Jesus and Buddha and just found out where they as amazingly cool as everyone says they were. And um, Barack Obama, I think he was a great leader. And uh, I just think, uh, you know, he, he didn't do everything perfectly, but a very interesting guy. But you haven't met uh, him yet? No, no, I haven't. I met two presidents, but I haven't met him. Well, he's he's begging to get on our show. So let me see what I could do to get him on the show and connect him with oh, you. Okay, go for <laughs> it. <laughs> Andrea? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah we, we decided to let you on first, Jack. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. We thought Thank you could you. be his intro. Um, <laughs> I want to know uh, what your favorite children's book is. Do you have a favorite? Oh, geez. Uh, I think uh, the, the Velveteen Rabbit, Brown Bear, Brown Bear, and Goodnight Moon, three of them. Those are really good. So let's uh, tell people again how people can get the new workbook and connect with you and get all the great references. The best way to get the workbook is to go to Jack, uh, to go to uh, the successprinciplesworkbook.com forward slash order because you'll be able to order it through Amazon or Barnes and Noble or Books a Million, but you'll also get a couple of bonuses, which includes an hour and a half masterclass on the success principles by me. You'll download it and listen to it uh, and watch it because it's a video. Uh, and then if you want to know about our training programs, we have online training programs where we take you through the success principles for like 20 hours. We have a train the trainer program. Just go to jackkinfield.com. So either of those will get you where you want to go. Well, thank you very much for being an Amplified. I hope you feel like we've amplified your goodness. You certainly are a person worthy of that. And with all the COVID uh, Zoom calls, I have to say, I got so comfortable, it felt like it would be actually cheating myself and the world of seeing your beautiful smile and how you resonate with people live. So thank you very much, Jack. Well, thank you. I'm going to have a great day. I've seen keep smiling behind you so often that I am totally ingrained in my subconscious. Well, we've been doing studies and meta-analysis on the studies that we received and presenting them all over the world, that the people who smile, uh, both the giver and the receiver, it's the best contagion in the world. And it gives you a dose, dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins. So you have, you're on a high all day now, Jack. And I'm Ken, you usually ask Jack or our guests their favorite quote, and we didn't get that. So Jack, I'd love to have that before we leave. Uh, he did ask me that, you which did. is, um, oh, I, yeah. How um, did I miss it? <laughs> I guess I, I was so enthralled with what you said. I wanted to hear it again. <laughs> just a pencil well, in the hand of God. Mother oh, Teresa. that's right. You did you share go. that. Cause I love mother Teresa. And then I wanted to remind people that keep smiling week is, um, May 25th through May 31st ending on national smile day, May 31st. So, uh, make sure to hashtag keep smiling and send your happy pictures, posts, and smiles to us at, at keep smiling movement and all the social media pages and jack just just as an aside i just want to say when you interviewed barry shore that was that was a hoot of an interview and i, I just want to say that was <laughs> that was that was something that made my day so thank I'm you glad. very much <laughs> have All a great right. have a great week and thank you again for being on our show you're very and welcome both of you thanks to our sponsors uh jack canfield's training company and voice america the red carpet connection the Umbrella Syndicate, and the Keep Smiling Movement, and Big Events USA. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Jack. Take care. Bye-bye. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of Amplified. Be sure to join Ken Rashan again next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Now, go get your message heard.